0: And for our scripture reading this afternoon, it will come again from uh, two different places. The first is Peter, the first epistle of Peter, uh, chapter 1. And our text for today is what's listed on the board from verse 17 through 21. First Peter 1, but we'll read from verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as He who called you as holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Then also turning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and here we can read about how the people began to call on the name of the Lord, which is one of the things that Peter brings up, and also how the, the people feared when they saw and heard what was happening, how they, it produced a reverence, a godly fear. And so, Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin reading just at verse 22. Acts 2, beginning at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by a determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in haze, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption." You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. And Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received on the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. This far, our scripture reading, and in connection with our scripture reading, I also want to read from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13, dealing with now the name of Lord, the title of Lord that is given to the Lord Jesus. Question 33 asks, why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God, since we are also children of God? The answer is because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God, but we are children adopted of God by grace for His sake. And question 34 asks, Wherefore callest thou him our Lord? And the answer is because he has redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood, his precious blood, and has delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus has made us his own property. And that question, of course, quotes First Peter chapter 1, which we'll consider today. So dear congregation, if I asked you, do you fear God? You automatically might say, of course, we're supposed to. Or I can ask you, are you a reverent Christian? And Everybody has their own interpretation maybe of what that looks like. But if I ask you a different question... What is the purpose of your life? What would you answer? In Africa, the locals there, they call white people Muzungus. If you've ever heard that word, that name, you might know what it means. But in in the Kishwahili uh, language especially, that, that term means someone who roams around, wandering aimlessly. And so that's the name they gave to white people, the first white uh, uh, traders when they came, the European traders when they came to Africa, because they saw them wandering around the country with no real uh, goal or aim. So they called them muzungus, wandering aimlessly, empty of purpose, seemingly. Is that what your life looks like? Sometimes young people might feel that way when they're looking for their way in life. They, They might feel like they're wandering aimlessly, not sure what way to go. And you want to run because you're full of zeal and energy and yet you don't know which way to run. And after a while you just give up because you don't know which way you should actually go. Or we might think that our life has purpose. If you were to ask those European settlers or those European traders, they they would have said they had a purpose. They were there looking for something. But to the locals, they appeared they were lost. And so we might have a purpose that we are pursuing in this life. But in the eyes of God, Do you have real purpose? I want to consider that a little today. And if we remember what we saw the last time here as we were in the book of Peter, Peter called us to be holy Christians, to live a life of holiness. And last time we saw from verses 13 through 16 that the motivation to holiness is also because of your hope, In Christ, the hope of eternal life, to hope to be made free of sin and like Christ. And John also says in 1 John 3 that everybody who has this hope of seeing Christ, of being like Christ, purifies himself in this life. There is a purpose of what they are seeking to achieve, to become like Christ, And so in verses 13 through 16, Peter called us to live as holy Christians. And now in verses 17 through 21, which we want to consider today, Peter's calling us to live as reverent Christians. And verse 17 then says, halfway through the verse, it says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. That's where the theme comes from, reverent Christians. And so the first thought that we have this evening is, what does it mean to be reverent Christians? What does that mean? What does it mean to conduct yourselves in fear? Well, it refers to your behavior? How do you behave? How do you live? How do you behave at home, in church, or in school? See, fear can have the meaning of terror of being afraid of something, and there's an element to that here, but this meaning of fear really has to do with reverence, godly reverence, godly fear and respect. And so is our life controlled by godly fear and reverence? Everything that we do at home, a school, church, wherever. And where does that godly fear come from? Well, it comes from knowing who God is. If we don't know God... We won't fear God. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ, he revealed himself in so many different ways. And as you read the Bible, God reveals himself in so many different ways. And in Luke 5, when the Lord Jesus healed the paralytic man, it says they were all amazed, they glorified God, and they were filled with fear, that reverence. When Jesus raised a dead boy in Luke 7, it says great fear came upon all, and they glorified God. In Luke 8, when he calmed the storm, it says they greatly feared. They were afraid there, and they marveled. As we read in Acts 2, when the apostles preached, and they saw the the mighty work of God saving sinners and the church growing in the miracles that they did, it says fear came upon every soul. When Ananias and Sapphira pretended to be Christians and tried to join themselves to the church, and they lied to the Holy Spirit and God killed them, it says great fear came upon all those who heard those things. Such a reverence, such a fear of God, afraid of His judgments, yes, but a reverence for who He is. And that reverence comes by knowing God and His attributes, in His His names, in His power, and all that He displays Himself to be. And so the conduct of our life, our behavior, has to be characterized by this reverence, by this godly fear, By this respect for God. So, if I ask you to examine our own hearts, do we have a holy respect and reverence for God? Is our life directed, controlled, uh, determined by what God would deem right and good? Do we worry about what He sees in our life? Are we concerned about living for His glory? See, in verse 15, Peter said, be holy in all your conduct, all your life, all your behavior. But now in verse 18, he's saying, be reverent in your conduct. Conduct with fear. That's how Paul said he lived in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12. He says, we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and in godly sincerity. Sincerity. Then he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, I write to you so that you may know how you ought, how you must conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. How you must conduct yourself with that fear of God. And so reverent conduct is living with a purpose for God. Sometimes you hear people ask, what really is the purpose of my life? Maybe those who are sick in the hospital or old or feeling like they can't do anything in this world and say, what really is the purpose? What difference does my life make in this world? But purpose means that we live with godly sincerity, living according to God's will, to God's truth, wherever God places us. So irreverent conduct is a life Of obedience to God's word. Not just doing great things in the eyes of men in this world, but there is purpose walking in the ways of God's commandments. The Lord Jesus, when he came into this world, he had a purpose. He walked with purpose, doing the will of his Father as an obedient son. Sometimes we see people in this world who are accomplishing great things. But I think it's the people who try to run the fastest in this world who are wandering with the most aimless lives. Wandering, the most aimless wanderers in this world. And that's why it seems to me in Acts 11 that Barnabas encouraged the new believers and he said that with all purpose of heart he should continue with the Lord. There's a a purpose, there's a direction. And so our lives, wherever we are, Wherever we are now, or in church, or home, or school, must have this godly fear. A while ago, we also spoke about the salt, just that little kernel of salt wherever God places us. And we have to remember the context of this this book as well, because Peter is writing to the persecuted church, to persecuted Christians. And if you think anyone would lack purpose, it might be someone like that driven from home, driven from country, wandering around this world, and yet he says, conduct yourselves in fear. The wisdom of Solomon also instructs us in this way. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 3 This well-known passage that so many people fall back on for help. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, it says. And then it says, fear the Lord and depart from evil. You see the distinction there. Fear the Lord, depart from evil, a godly reverence. Fear the Lord, and you won't wander aimlessly in your life in this world. And so that's the first thought of what it means. And now secondly, the second main thought is why we must be reverent Christians. Why must we be reverent Christians? And this second main thought is broken up into three sub-thoughts. And so the first sub-point of the second point, why we must be uh, reverent Christians, is... Because God is your Father. Peter writes here in verse 17, if you call on the Father. And some translations have instead of if, they said since. Since you are calling on God as your Father in Jesus Christ. If you have been born again, if you have been adopted into the family of God, you call upon God as your Father. That demands a godly reverence and fear, does it not? Verse 14 says, As obedient children. God the Father is said to discipline the children whom He loves. You can think of David. The Lord loved him greatly, even as the apple of His own eye. But when David sinned, He suffered the consequences of his sin, of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. sword didn't depart from his own house. Hebrews 12, verse 8 tells us, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much more uh, readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He, God, for our profit, so that we may be partakers of His holiness. There's a purpose that God has for making you holy, to making you godly. And so if you, by grace, are privileged to be a child of God, of the Almighty and living God, adopted as the children of God, purchased with the price of the blood of His own Son, should you then not also live as children of God, with reverence? And believers become children of God, but yet there's a distinction between Christ, as we saw in the Catechism where it said Christ was the only begotten Son, the eternal and natural Son, but we adopted children of God by grace for His sake. And so there's that difference that Christ is perfectly holy. Christ is perfectly reverent. He came as a substitute, as a mediator to to stand in the place of His people, to die in the place of His people. But now that He has done so, you become children of God. You become holy and reverent by grace. It is because of this Christ that you were brought into this family for the purpose of sanctifying, of purifying, and glorifying you. And so since you call on God as your Father, and that really means to invoke, to call for deliverance from sin, you've learned to call on God as your Father, have you not? You've learned to cry out to Him for help. He says in Psalm 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. The Lord Jesus Himself taught you to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. So also in Acts 2, Peter says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit that was shed because of this, poured out because of that it's possible. You see how Stephan cried out to God, calling upon the name of God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And in Romans 10, Paul explains that now there is no difference between Jew, between Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon his name. He's saying all those who can call upon the name. And so now if or since you have learned to call upon God as your Father. What must I do to be saved? You've learned that He answers and delivers those. You've learned to submit your soul, your eternal soul, into His hands. How much more must you also submit your life now and your behavior to His Word and to His truth? So there must be that holy reverence, that holy fear, as God as your Father. But then, secondly, the second reason that we must be reverent Christians is because God is your judge. God is our judge. It says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Lord Jesus in in Luke 12, he said, Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and can do no more than that. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, whom after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. When we call on God as our Father, there is no place for any irreverence, for any joking around for any casual familiarity or half-heartedness, because God is a holy God and a judge. And He will judge without partiality. And He is your judge. That means He does not favor anyone over someone else. He doesn't favor the rich over the poor, or the Jews over the Gentiles, or the slave over the master. No one is exempt from His judgments, from His eyes. And He judges according to everyone's own work. How do you live? He does not judge you by how you look, by how you feel, but he looks at the heart. What is your motive? What is your purpose? Because all sin, the Lord Jesus says, comes out of the heart. Murder, adultery, selfish ambition, lies, pride. But also the love of God is shed abroad in the heart. The fruit of the Spirit comes out through the heart. And God, your Father, is judge of all, and He's a perfect record of all our sin. Nothing is hid from His eyes. We often try to live to impress other people. We often live to try hide our secret sins from others. But Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. God is your judge. But that's also the comfort of God's people. For believers who confess their faults to God, who know you have a place to go with your sins, because in Christ, God, the Father, the Judge, sees that the sins of all His people have been fully paid there on the cross and carried away forever. There the Father can acquit His children based on Christ's work alone, not because of anything in us, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we can fear and tremble before the Lord because we see our own indwelling sins, because we know the accusations of Satan, who is often so correct in accusing us of our sin, but if we call on the Father for the sake of Christ as our only hope of salvation, then this judge declares you not guilty, free and righteous. And what is the evidence then of this in your life? There is a life of sanctification There's a new conduct, a godly fear and reverence in your heart. And so don't live presumptuously in this world if that is not present. Don't go through this world thinking that you are a Christian and saved if you have no fear and no reverence for God. If there's no evidence of being changed into the image of Christ, then do not think that there is a change in your heart. Your judge is a God who knows your heart. And so conduct the time of your stay here in fear, Peter says. We are dwelling on this earth as temporary residents. and The time of your stay here is spent. How? As pilgrims. This is not our home. You are travelers, travelers to eternity, children of another kingdom. So live in the fear of this God who is your Father, but also your Judge, before whom we all must stand. And then the third reason why you must live as reverent Christians, the third reason is because God is your Redeemer. He's your Redeemer. Now again, under this point, I have other, four more thoughts. Briefly to break it up. He is our Redeemer. And it produces godly fear knowing what you have been redeemed from. It produces godly fear knowing what you have been redeemed from. If you remember those uh, disciples on the way to Emmaus, what did they say? They said, we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. And so to redeem someone means to be ransomed by a payment for your release, for your return. In the Old Testament, God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt. He redeemed them from that, and He used the plagues to do so. In the Old Testament, slaves could be redeemed by, by buying their freedom. Either they could pay it themselves or someone else could pay it for them. They'd be free. The freedom had a price. In the New Testament, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse For us. Titus 2, verse 14, it says, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for himself, his own special people, zealous of good works. And so here in Peter, in verses 18 and 19, it speaks of being redeemed, redeemed deliverance from the slavery to sin, redeemed from your aimless conduct, from your wandering around this world without purpose, from a life without purpose, from a life of slavery, of sin, which is aimlessly going in this world. I don't think Satan really cares about what sins you, you fall into as long as you're wandering aimlessly in this world with no progress. And even if you thought you had purpose in this world before you were saved, it was our own sinful purpose. It was wandering aimlessly, looking for treasures on this earth, just like those uh, traders were looking in Africa for for whatever they were looking for, something that will perish with the world. So reverence to God for delivering you from the power of sin. But then secondly, Reverence, knowing the great cost of your redemption. Verses 18 and 19 say, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot." He begins with the negative, showing what it's not. It's not a gold, not silver, nothing that perishes in this world. All that stuff has no value because it will perish. doesn't matter how valuable the world thinks it is. It'll fade away. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Christ gave His own life as a ransom for your salvation. Revelation 5 verse 9 says Christ was slain and redeemed us to God by His blood out of every tribe, of every tongue, and every nation. And so you owe Him reverence and obedience because we are His blood-bought children. We belong to God. He is our Lord. He is our Master. And here I want to quote the Lord's Day, 13, question 34 again, because it says, "Because he re- Why do we call him Lord? Because he redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but his precious blood, and has delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus has made us his own property. He redeemed us, delivered us from the power of the devil, from the power of our sins. He's made us his own his own property. We owe our life to Christ because He is the one who gave His life to deliver our life. So, then thirdly, reverence, knowing God's eternal purpose for your redemption, knowing God's eternal purpose. Not only do we recognize that this redemption had such a great price that it cost the life of Jesus Christ. But this was something that God purposed in eternity. This was God's decree from eternity. Christ was chosen from eternity, from before the foundation of the world, it says here in verse 20. But it was manifest in these last times for you. So God has purposed in His eternal decree that He would redeem, that He would restore His creation to Himself. And He'd make a creation and a people that would never sin, that would never fall away again. There's security, It is an eternally secure creation. And so Christ was revealed to you in your life as God's way of His redemption. And when Christ rose from the grave, as we heard this morning, God the Father was testifying to the fact that Christ's sacrifice was accepted, that the work of redemption was accomplished. That He successfully redeemed His people from the devil, from sin, from corruption. Who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. Verse 21. Even though there was so much wickedness opposed to Christ in this world, you saw the violence of crucifying Him, but you also saw how hard they tried to keep Him in the grave and from rising from the dead. The The Jews spared no expense paying the soldiers. They had the the soldiers there. And when Christ rose, He even paid the soldiers at the risk of their own lives to to bribe them, to lie, to say that the body was stolen. But in Acts 2, verse 24, as we read, Peter says, "...whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that He should be held by it." Christ is exalted to the right hand of God. That is eternal purpose of God for Christ. God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, Philippians 2 says. But then lastly, fourthly, reverence, knowing the end of your redemption. Verse 21 says, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Reverence, because your faith and your hope are in God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and who will also raise you from the dead to eternal life. You believe in God because the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised to life from the dead. There's faith in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ without which we have no hope. And in verse 8 also, Peter says... Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. In verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, so that your faith and hope might be in God. And with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you too can have that assurance that you will be raised from the dead on that great day. And there your faith and your hope are inseparably connected. The purpose of your life is governed by this reality. You live for God because you seek God to raise you from the dead. And so again I ask you, what is your conduct? And what does it look like? What does your life look like as a reverent Christian? Well, it's not wandering aimlessly through this world. It's not seeking the things of this world that are perishing. But as Paul says, it's redeeming the time, being conformed to Christ, your Lord, your redeemer. And if anybody should be and if you think anybody would be wandering aimlessly in this world, it'd be those who are persecuted as Peter is writing to? Or does those who are now fleeing from their homes that have been annihilated in, in Ukraine because of the war? Or does those who, who, because of a disaster, uh, have lost their homes for everything. Or it's those who are under persecution are chased out of home and country now, in whatever countries. But here we see that wandering aimlessly is having no purpose in with God, not serving the Lord. But Christians, wherever they are, in whatever state, whatever condition they are, whether in a sickbed, whether in prosperity, whether in persecution, whether wh- wherever it might be, we Serve the Lord with reverence and godly fear, doing His will, obeying His will. And so I want to exhort you today that we still live in a relative freedom in our nation. Do not squander the time that God has given us to learn, to seek Him, to find Him. Because no one is guaranteed a day in this world, neither are we guaranteed our freedom. Neither are we guaranteed our peace or prosperity. When a nation can be turned into such a turmoil so quickly, what do you have hidden in your heart of God's Word that you will be able to follow if you are not able to take your Bible with you from here? Are you able to live with godly fear, with holiness, with reverence, to follow God in His way, to serve the Lord and obey His Word wherever you go from here? Teach your children. Study God's Word. Make this the compass of your life. Be in His Word. Be in His presence. For He has made that possible through Jesus Christ. Amen.